I want to invite you to um, grab your Bibles or grab your phone if you have your Bibles. And like, like every Sunday, we're going to open to the life of Jesus. We're going to look at a couple of moments of scripture. Um, just in this little summer series that we're doing, we were just speaking about some really particular things about the life, uh, following the life of Jesus. Um, we're, we're just trying to look at a couple of different facets for these first few weeks of the year. Um, and so we're just sort of looking at a couple of little moments in the life of Jesus in the scriptures. And so I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12, where we have one of the I am statements that Jesus says. So in John, he says seven times a different I am. I am the shepherd. I am the gate. I am, and so on and so on. And here is one of them. It goes like this. Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I want to take you to another spot. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5, 13 to 15. So just flick over to Matthew, this other Gospel, just a little bit earlier. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 13 to 15, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Here in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Uh, just for another take, I want to read those again. I just want to go to a different paraphrase of the Bible. I want to go to Eugene Peterson's message. And I just want you just to notice, because some of us have probably heard those statements a bunch of times. So just, here's a little bit of different language. Here's another paraphrase from um, St. Eugene of Montana, who says this. Jesus once again addressed them. I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. That's John. And then into Matthew, the same reading again, but just from the message. This is just a little bit clunky this morning here, Dave. It's not quite working. You have to track with me, buddy. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine, keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to, be open, to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray you would take these scriptures, you'd take this sentiment from Jesus about light and you'd plant it in our lives today well. Lord, would you, would you find in our hearts now that they would be soft and ready and available to be learning and to be listening and to be paying attention to what you are doing with us today, God. Lord, would you plant this that it may be a fruit by your spirit. Lord, nothing, nothing more of a 20 or 30 minute talk is going to be able to help us to grow. Actually, what's going to help us grow is the work of your spirit in our lives. 
as you work with this, Lord. So we, we pray for that. Bring it to life. Bring it to life, we pray in your name. Amen. So for the last two weeks, we have been looking at when we apprentice our lives to Jesus and when we follow the way of Jesus, it is going to take two things. It's going to take, number one, being attentional. We have to pay attention. So I spoke a couple of weeks on the fact that to follow Jesus is to have our attention on him. That's what following is. Following is the work of attention keeping. If we're following someone, we're keeping our attention on them. Secondly, last week I talked about the fact that if we're going to be doing that, then we better get used to the work of God's transforming power in our lives. God is going to be transforming us. And it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be liberating. But it's those two things. We need to be attentional and then we get used to this work of transformation, becoming transformational. Today I want to add another adjective that ends in AL. I want to add missional to the pile. Today I want to talk about the fact that if we do those two things, then like Jesus says, we become light. We become something that shines into the world. So what is it to be missional? That word is pretty loaded up at the moment with a bunch of ideas. So what is it to be missional? Well then let's just ask a different question to get there today. The question I want to ask is this, how, why won't this clicker work is the question. How can our city flourish? I'm just going to do this to you Dave, okay, and that's your cue, alright. I'm turning it off so we don't double click, alright, I'm just going to do this to you. The question is, how can our city flourish? How can our city flourish? And what we imagine as answers to, the, to that question, they start to provide a sense of mission. So our answers to this question become missional answers. You know, if, if, if we see that our city is full of loneliness, for example, then we desire to see people connected and known, well then a mission has arrived, a mission has arisen. The mission is to see connection happen. Or if there's inequality, and actually I'm gonna take out the if, where there is inequality, where there are people hungry, and we sense to feed people, to provide a space for people to be able to be provided for, then another mission has arrived, the mission of providing and feeding. If there is a lack of life or beauty, and, and you, you sensed, I need to bring some life and creativity here, another mission has arrived. The mission of bringing beauty and creativity into a city that is grey. No, I could stack a bunch more answers in there and hopefully you're thinking of some answers even now as I ask this question. What does our city need to flourish? And as you start spotting the needs and filling them, mission is starting to fill the room. And if we go on to live those answers, if we decide to embody those answers and live them in action, then we have become missionaries. Missionaries. <sighs> Who here has grown up in church for a long time? Show of hands. Who here, like, literally as a kid, like, going back in the day? Who here, as I say the word missionary, was just a little bit triggering? Yeah, yeah, a few of you. I've been in church most of my life, and when I say the word missionary, I am instantly transported back to a time when I was about, about 12 or 13. And in our little church in Stratford, Taranaki, we would have our annual visit from our missionary who we were supporting in India. Her name was Nancy. She would come 
And she would tell these wild, wild stories about her ministry in India. She'd tell us what was going on. She'd ask us to pray for her. would ask, her, ask us to support her financially. And then she would leave us with a fridge magnet. It would have her name and her photo. And it was written in that great biblical font, papyrus. And it was burgundy. And it got slapped onto our fridge. Pray for Nancy with her photo. And all of my life, all my teenage life, going to that fridge, pray for Nancy, pray for Nancy, papyrus, papyrus, burgundy, burgundy. Um, there's, it turns out that um, missionaries are quite into these fridge magnets. Here's a template where you can just get them made. So you could all do it this afternoon for some fun. Just plug your photo in, choose a font, slap your name on there. Missionaries, you know, missionaries love a good fridge magnet. I grew up thinking that this is what mission was. It was a person who went somewhere else and I found myself thinking I couldn't be that person. I'm not as spiritual as Nancy. I'm not as courageous as Nancy. I wasn't full of enough faith like Nancy. I don't want to get sick like Nancy. Um, I don't sense a call to India like Nancy. I, and, and then other missionaries would come through and tell their stories about fighting off demons in Africa. And I'm like, no. Um, or, or getting arrested for smuggling Bibles into China. I'd be like, no. Um, and, and then there was always this moment of asking for support. And I don't like asking for money, so no, I don't want to do that. Mission trips were definitely not for me. I was definitely not going to be a missionary. And that's the root of the problem. Because these professional missionaries, as they came through, formed an unintentional pattern of thinking in me. It wasn't their intention to do this at all. It's just what happened as a byproduct. What I started to think as a teenager was that mission was solely something that you were specially called for, that you had to fundraise for, that you had to gear up for, that you had to get the fridge magnets for, and then you disappeared for. And off you went to survive on the faith of those who were praying for you back home. Now I say all of this not to have a go at missionaries. I have, there are some missionaries in my life who are faithful, epic, wonderful saints. But I do share it just to honestly express this malformed thought that developed in me as a byproduct of them being around. How did this get rewired for me? How did I start to think about this differently as I came out of those years? Well, what, when I was studying my masters later on in my 20s, um, I had to read a comprehensive list of books throughout church history, 2,000 years worth of reading, um, and I had to read a bunch of stuff from different time periods. And one of the ones that I had to read, a couple of books I had to read was uh, on the more emergent church of the last couple of uh, last decade or so. And so I had to read um, Brian McLaren's book, A Generous Orthodoxy. And in A Generous Orthodoxy, um, it was in this book where Brian wrote in particular about the missional movement. And I stumbled my way, starting to read his chapter, thinking about missionaries, and realized he was talking about something completely different. Um, it was a rewiring moment with God, a moment of transformation. It was a moment when mission was completely turned inside out and upside down for me. It was one of those really good Jesus-following transformation moments, like what I was talking about last week. And like every good transforming moment, Brian had supplied diagrams, so it was even easier to understand. So here they are. So Brian writes about this. Most of us see our life with God like this. This is the diagram he uses. Me. 
I am the biggest, I'm, I'm the biggest circle of this diagram. It's mostly about me. God is concerned with me. I am the most important thing. And then we have the church. And the church is a bit smaller and we give a bit, a bit of value to it and we give a time to it, a bit of energy to it. But, but ultimately, life, life with God is more about me than it is about being in the church. And then if we can and if we can scrape up the resources or if we feel the call or if we're that super spiritual person, we might go and tackle something of solving a problem in the world this is how most people sitting in churches see how this is playing out I'm of the utmost importance to God I go to a church and if I can I might tip a little bit of extra into serving into the world and then what Brian did is he shows a second diagram and he says but this is actually what the Bible speaks about when it comes to mission the world is actually of the utmost importance to God. And within the world, he has placed his church, his bride, the hands and feet of Jesus, the community of faith, the people of God, and then invited in to play a part in that family, invited in to be part of that story, is you and me. And we're invited into something that's already in action, something that's already sweeping along, something that's already happened. You know, if I go back to diagram one, please, Dave, the reality is, is that for most of us, we are the most consuming and important part of our attention. And the gospel then is applied to say, well, here's how we deal with the issues in your life. Here's how I deal with the fact that you feel crappy. Here's how I deal with what you have as sin. Here's how I deal with the transaction you need to make with God. So the gospel becomes, well, here's how you become a good person. Or here's how you go, go to heaven when you die. And we like the sound of that. So we say yes. And if we say yes to that, well, then we might participate a bit in the church. We might pour a bit of energy in there. And then, and then if we can, if we've got a little bit of leftover, we apply some life into the world. But often by then, most of the resource is running out. Let's go back to diagram two. The first conviction of this diagram is that the world and all of creation is of God's greatest concern. All of creation, us included. This doesn't exclude us. It just places us in a greater position of uh, perspective. Um, next, next slide there, Dave. Uh, we, we become people like what Psalm 24 speaks of. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That becomes a conviction that we live with. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and he built it on the ocean depths. And so if we start with that as that outer ring, as the perspective of beginning this conversation, if we start the conversation there, well then we move on to the gospel and the gospel is inserted in. And look at the gospel from Mark, Mark 1.15. Mark summarizes Jesus' gospel. He says, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced, the, this is Jesus announcing this, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Here in Mark's gospel, Jesus is summarized declaring the the essentials of his good news announcement. It is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Or to put that another way, 
God's future is breaking into this moment. God's putting things to rights is breaking into this moment. Now the hearers of this gospel would have been people who would have known the book of Isaiah really well, the prophet Isaiah. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about that time that is going to be coming in the future where there'll be no more tears, no more need for, um, for mourning, for, for, the, for, for the God has come to wipe all tears and deal with all pain and to end all suffering. It's coming through this thing that Jesus is declaring. And this is how he taught his disciples to live, is to live in this reality. Live with your posture turned towards God's future, his breaking in of his kingdom, his good news, his good work, his putting things to rights work, breaking into today. And so that's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, for example. He said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Michelle, so beautifully just before, as she finished her moment of prayer with us this morning, just prayed that same prayer. It's a beautiful, honest, and um, powerful prayer to pray with God. God, I'm at the end of what I can do. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here in this moment of this time and in this place. Amen. We should never get tired of praying that. That is a gospel prayer. And as with everything we do here at Central Vineyard in particular, Jesus is the way of how we want this to look. He's our model of how we want this thing to look. So Jesus enacted this life. It wasn't just a declaration, it was lived. So Jesus fed the poor. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus set people free, just to name a few things. And every time he did that, when you're reading through the gospels and he does that, he says this little phrase, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What is he saying? The future work of God is broken into this moment. It was enacted. Was it enacted through the action? Was it enacted through the miracle? Who knows where that line is sometimes? But it was enacted. This was the light that he was displaying. This was the glory that he was emanating. He showed the way of the future. Things that were broken were becoming new. And he left a blueprint for the church and for all of us. We too are to pray that the kingdom would come. We're to stand in moments like we did today and say, Lord, make us living stones. And then we're to go out those doors and we're to behave like we mean that prayer. We are to pray for his kingdom to come and we're to go and live the best answers we can outside, out those doors and about 30 minutes time. Jesus is the light of the world and preposterously and annoyingly to some of us, he turns it back to us and says, and so are you. Next slide. St. Augustine says this, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Just like last week, I'm going to put down the microphone for a couple of minutes. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you just to say what you're noticing in that quote. St. Augustine, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Go for it. It's chat time. Turn to the person next to you. What does that quote mean? What are you noticing? Does it confuse you? Have you got it? Have a little chat. A couple of minutes.
If I was in your group, just a little bit like last week, you know, I'd love that we could just pass the microphone around and hear some of the reflections from those little quick chats there. But if I was in your group, if you were talking to me, I would have said something like this. Man, this quote seems to be speaking about the partnership we have with God. Seems to be, it seems to be talking about the partnership that humanity has with God. Because without God, we will quickly find ourselves at the limit of what we can put our hands to. Um, there's a saying in um, car racing, I'm a big car racing fan, and sometimes when a guy has a crash or if he spins, the commentators will have this little joke where they say like, oh, he ran out of talent. He ran out of talent. And I think that's eventually what we also do. We get to the end of our talent. We get to the end of our passion. We get to the end of all the things we can naturally do. It runs out. It runs out. We need God. As I've already spoken about this morning, we, we, we need to turn to Jesus' good news. Depend on it. We need to let it hook our hearts and draw us, all, draw us on. We to trust that it is indeed the path to walk for a truly flourishing life. So we need God. Without God, we cannot, says Augustine. Without God, we cannot. Without turning to God, we may as well just be a social service. We may as well just be a Lions Club. We may as well just be a food bank or any other hashtag social justice movement that catches the attention of the world for a while. But it is in turning to God that the church is not just one of those things, but actually becomes all of them and, and so much more. Because God has chosen his church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The spirit-empowered people who are at a work. They are at work in the world, doing the things that Jesus did, bringing justice and rightness, bringing healing and bringing beauty. And so if Augustine is right, there are things in our city that God is leaving us to do. Let me just say that one more time. There are things in our city that God is leaving for us to do. Not, not detached from God, not away from God, but with God. But he's calling us to do them. He's calling us to the good work, as the New Testament authors would put this. How can our city flourish? That's the question kind of like a heartbeat going through this talk today. You know, look around our city. Think about the headlines at the moment. Think about the conversations you're finding yourself in. What do you see? What are you noticing? You know, if you notice brokenness like social inequality or like loneliness or like disconnection like I spoke of earlier, or maybe there's things closer to home for you that you're picking up on right next to you in your workplace, in your homes, in the relationships right next to you. What are you noticing? Well, I want to just present a couple of little quick ideas here and say I think there's three things that we just have to own up to and, and believe in today. Number one, I think we need to believe God loves Tamaki Makoto. God loves our city. We could say that of any city. I mean, I spent my life growing up in Stratford. It's hard for me to say God loves Stratford, but he does. 
We'll edit that out of the podcast later because my brother listens to this. But God loves the city. So number two, if God loves something, doesn't he want it to flourish? Isn't that what love does? Doesn't love desire for another to flourish? So if God loves Tamaki Makoto, then then God wants the city to flourish. Which means he wants to renew what is currently broken. He wants to get us from where we are to where we can be. He wants us to live on mission. Living into the reality of what things could be like. And so to do that, well, all he's got in the game is his church. That's what he has inserted into the story. The church. And it's our conviction here at Central Vineyard that we long to become a diverse place of expression into our city to see it flourish. That has been our heart for nearly eight years now. That we would meet the needs of our city. That we would be united by this agenda. God is making all things new. And we are invited to partner and to play our part in what he is doing. That is what we mean when we stand here and say we're following Jesus and playing our part. Playing our part means bringing what we have to God's work of a flourishing city, a flourishing time. So that's what it is to be missional. It is to join in with this making things new invitation that the gospel offers to all of us. Turn and see. The kingdom is coming. Play your part. So as a church, we are trying to be a faithful presence of that story. We're trying to live in that story. And so together, we do this by doing things that we've sort of termed as outward facing. As in, here we are together, and we're about to walk out those doors and live this stuff for real. Outward. And so what we do is a bunch of things. So firstly, as a community, I would hope that you'd be able to say that our Sunday gathering here is a missional expression of this church, that it's open and inviting and and that people would feel welcome here. Hopefully that this place is a witness to what we're trying to do. Hopefully as we talk about these things together, it, it prompts something in us to go and do it. It's like a signpost pointing into the future. The other spaces we have are spaces like our circles. In our circles, we practice community and we encourage hospitality and the welcoming of people to be known and to become lone, uh, so they, they may not be lonely, but they may become known, that they may find connection, and that they may become um, encouraged in their walk with Jesus with each other. And then what we have is we have a facility called Community Hall. If you're, if you're just new here, then you might not know about Community Hall, but it's on Great North Road and it's our facility that we have. It's this nice big open space where we do a lot of our outward initiatives from and where it's available for you as a participant of Central Vineyard, as a person of this community to use for anything that you dream up. Um, we've had people do all sorts of stuff there in the past and we would love to invite you to freshly dream and consider how you could use that space to do some of your own versions. We've had all sorts of things that have happened in our Community Hall space over the years that have been outward and missional focused it's time to dream again it's time to dream again church 
Each week we collect food and we take it out for gratis for our gratis street feed. It used to be gratis in community hall, but since COVID happened, it's been out in the streets. And so what happens is we collect food from, actually what's actually been happening in the last couple of months is we've been collecting leftover lunches from some schools because there's an abundance of those meals that have been cooked and ready to go. And we, we, we uh, redistribute those. Um, and we take food from cafes that are in our area around Ponsonby and K Road. And, um, and we take the, that food out to uh, this, the community and we, we feed them. We put out um, a, a feast for them for the night. Um, every Tuesday night, we have a community of people who are doing something called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a group of people that are walking through a Christ-centered 12-step uh, recovery program to celebrate their recoveries of um, life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so that's a community that is just aimed towards how do we help you to walk towards wholeness. This is one of our outward initiatives, one of our beautiful ministries. Um, when families have babies, actually, um, Amy and Scott, I saw you just before with a baby, and I was like, oh my goodness, you've had it, and then I realized that it wasn't yours. So Amy, I think, is our next one. Um, there's been heaps of babies lately, and so when, when we have babies, we try and rally people around to provide food. We try and provide care for those who are hurting, for those who have gone through hospital and all these sorts of things. We, try, we have a care team. Alicia's not here today, but she's, she's part of, uh, she leads our pastoral care space of our church, and her job is just keeping her finger on the pulse of how we can meet needs in this community and also in the neighbourhoods around us. How can we serve the needs there that we find there? Um, each year we run Alpha. We're about to run Alpha in a couple of months' time again, freshly again. And the Alpha course is a space for people to bring their big questions and to ask life's big questions and then we hold up as a bit of an answer the gospel. <laughs> and we say, we think Jesus is a bit of an answer for some of these things. And we walk through that for several weeks. And as we've already done this morning, we join with our wider Vineyard Fano, our big vineyard um, movement that we belong to across the country. And when there's moments to raise money or to, or to, or to um, create um, pathways for, for meeting needs, we get on board. So for the last 12 months, we have been, um, we have been quietly ticking away at uh, collecting money for the Ukraine war because the Vineyard International has had missionaries right at the coalface of serving the, the needs in the Ukraine. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've had missionaries right at the coalface of Turkey and Syria for the earthquake, and so we've been collecting money for that. And now we're collecting money for our own country. We're collecting money for the cyclone and for Bay Vineyard in particular that Ella told us about earlier. So, so these are all things, the reason I'm showing you this list, and we could have put a few more things too, these are all expressions, diverse expressions, of what it is for this community to try and posture itself outward. All of these things. Uh, we could have put intercessory prayer, I could have put a bunch more things, your table, your hospitality in your home, like there's, there's more things we could stack. But what I'm trying to show you is as a community, this is how we actually put this in action. This is how we live on mission. This is how we do it. These are just some of the ways that we're currently practicing that. And some of these have looked different in the past and they're looking different now. But this is the heart of this church is that we would posture ourselves outward to play our part in what God is doing in the city. So, so my last question, one more time. What about you? Last question, last time. How can our city flourish? Let me just move it closer to home. Let me move that question right up to you and say, how can your city flourish? You know, just realizing across the room this morning as I look at some of your faces and know some of your stories well and know none of your stories from some of you at the moment and I want to get to know your story. Realizing that each of us holds a sacred difference in this room right now. 
Each of us is wired differently. Each of us does a different job, different vocations. We've got different cultural upbringings. We have all sorts of stuff that makes us who we are, and it's different. And yet we are all invited to the same invitation, to come and play our part in bringing God's kingdom to earth in this city. What is your different and unique gift to love those in that way around you? What is it? You know, when you see a need, how do you dream about fulfilling it? When you see a need, when you spot a need, what gets your heart beating for creating change? Could that be the Spirit of God? Could that be the whisper of the Spirit to you? You know, who are you next to? Who needs the good news that God is making all things new? Who do you work next to in a cubicle? Who do you live next to across the fence or through the wall of your townhouse? Who, who are you bumping into every day in the cafe as you get that morning brew on the way to work? Who are you doing life next to who needs to hear God's making all things new? Not just in words, but in a reality lived. You know, what community or age group or situation has got a hook in your heart? I know there's people in this community who have, for the last few years have been involved in various refugee work here in the city of helping people who have arrived into our country as refugees find their feet. It's, it's a hook in their heart that they live for. I know there's people in this room right now, you, there's a hook in your heart for generations. And you, like, you like get really weepy really quickly when we mention certain age demographics. There's a hook in your heart. There's certain cultural... Um, uh, there's certain cultures, sorry, it's the word I was looking for. There's certain cultures, either here in the city or around the world, they're like hooks in your heart. Subcultures, maybe. What is in your heart? Well, allow me to go back to Jesus' words as we finish. Allow me to go right back to where we started the talk. And I want to go back to the message version of the end here of Matthew 5. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives, and by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. To be missional means to accept and to take on what it is to be a follower of Jesus and to live it, and in living it, you will shine. You will be placed in a place to be shining like his light that brought life to the world, so your life will do the same. I started this talk by saying that to be missional is to live towards a desired vision of change, of things that need to be problem solved or fixed, and you live towards the outcome of fixing them. Ultimately, for a Christ follower, which is what most of us in the room are probably saying, yep, that's me. Ultimately, for a Christ follower, it is to take Jesus at his word, that he is the light who has come to show us how to live life and to experience a life and not stumble in the darkness. And then we do as he invited us to. We go and light up the shadows with him. And so my benediction to you today, my final words are these. May you shine light into a city that desperately needs it. You could do that this afternoon. You could do that with a small act where you notice the Spirit nudging you towards something selfless or generous. Or that could be a big act. Some of you might be thinking, I might have to print some fridge magnets. <laughs> I want to invite you to the table as we finish church today.